newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers, plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Pete Seeger plays us in to start the newest edition of the Media Project, our weekly look at all things media, and maybe some other things of interest to us, too. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ira Fussfeld, retired publisher of the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York, filling in again for Rex Smith. Uh, happy to be joined by Alan Chartok, CEO of Northeast Public Radio, Judy Patrick, Vice President of Editorial Development at the New York Press Association, and Rosemary Armeo, investigative reporter, adjunct professor at the University of Albany, and, judging by her recent Facebook postings, a devoted catwoman. Do I have that right, Rosemary? Involuntarily, if anyone is in need of any kind of cats, they're great for mousing and all of that, please get hold of me. Uh, the only cats that I recommend are the kind at the deli in Manhattan. I have no comment on real cats. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, we have a, a wide array of subjects. I'm going to start with a letter, and a relatively insignificant compared to the bigger issues of the day. On the other hand, it does strike to the heart of what it is we try to do in our business. This is from Scott of Hobart, New York, and he says, I love my local newspapers, and I generally think they do a great job. But every now and then I see something that seems like the paper is trying to stir up concern just to create a buzz. And the example he gives is a story or a variety of stories out of the Syracuse Post-Standard bemoaning the drop in attendance at the state fair and wondering if it's a cause for concern. The headline, the writer says, seemed to suggest that there was an expectation of far better attendance. And I guess my question is why? Who was expecting better? Why is lower attendance a surprise? And it talks about the pandemic and stories leading up to the fair that suggested there would be low attendance. People are staying at home, at home during a pandemic spike. Why would a newspaper editorial board decide to frame it as if something has gone terribly awry? And he speaks to whose editorial judgment this is because it creates less credibility for the news newspaper. Uh, anybody have any thoughts on that? Is It seems to me something that's not isolated to this one example. I used to go to this Greek restaurant. Roselle and I would travel, and we went to a Greek restaurant, and there was the guy, and he just said in very broken English, point to whatever you want. <laughs> so I think in this case, you're sitting there every morning and having to put something into the newspaper, and you have to decide what will interest people. Andrew Cuomo seemed to think so because he was always talking about the state fair and how wonderful it was. So it's an indices. Judy, it doesn't seem like it's a bad point to say, why would you run headlines bemoaning the lack of attendance when, at least in this case, the lack of attendance was pretty predictable? And I'm not sure the headline actually bemoaned the drop in attendance. It probably stated that there was a drop in attendance. And I think measuring the attendance of an event is a perfectly a reasonable thing to do, especially during a pandemic. If it was a lot higher than it was two years ago, when the last time they held the fair, that'd be a really interesting story. You see the 
the focus on attendance up here in the Capital District of New York State. You see a focus on it at the uh, New York State Racing Association's Thoroughbred Racetrack in Saratoga Springs. The state has invested a lot of money in the state fairgrounds, and are people coming back? It's a measure of whether or not we're confident in resuming our regular lives or not. Again, I'm not sure the focus of the headline was negative. It was just stating the fact that attendance is down from two years ago, which is very reasonable. I would hope that the body of the story dealt with that. Yeah, I actually agree with the writer, and it's hard for us to judge because I haven't read the whole article, and you cannot judge an article by a headline, as every one of us here knows. But let's use another example. The papers, and by that I mean overall, are filled with news this week that Joe Biden's popularity has plummeted. And indeed, it has dropped since he first came into office, which was only, may I point out, in January. But it is still above 50 percent, way above where Trump ever got. So to me, it did seem, wow, that's very interesting framing. It's like they're waiting to pounce on a misstep and a drop in popularity. Is that really the right way to frame it? When again, it's completely understandable. He's had a disaster in Afghanistan. His efforts at wiping out the plague look like they're going to be stymied by vaccine resistance and a new variant. He still hasn't gotten through, although they are working on that, the infrastructure. So it's completely reasonable that he is not going to be popular now as much as he was back in January when he was just promising this stuff. doesn't explain that in the coverage. We do, and that's what headline writers are assigned to do, take the most glaring and outstanding and unusual and extreme position and tout it. So I think he's got a point. I sort of agree with you, and I think the overall lesson is that our readers – We should not underestimate the intelligence of our readers, and I'm not suggesting that we do, but readers read our material very closely, and headlines, when we're just trying to do it in a hurry and trying to fill space, might not always get the same attention that the stories that could be edited for a considerable amount of time by several people. So headlines are important, to say the least. Well, if you want to weigh in on that, uh, write us at media at org, and perhaps we will select your letter. And I have one in the bank that I'm going to use later, depending on how this show goes. Well, Alan made reference to the governor and the former governor. We have a new governor in New York, Kathy Hochul, and I'm wondering what kind of reception she's going to receive from the media. Bearing in mind as context, the media has had a pretty rough go for the last 10 years with Andrew Cuomo. They've not been treated well, nor have more than just a few of his colleagues in government. And now here we come with Kathy Hochul, who is promising a breath of fresh air. She's selected a lieutenant governor who she says is going to be working closely with her, unlike she with Cuomo. I'm wondering what kind of honeymoon period, if any, you think the uh, media is going to give her, uh, and should she get a honeymoon period? Uh, Alan, what do you think? Well, look, uh, she's competent, that's for sure. She has given a couple of very competent speeches, and I am not damning by faint praise. I just think that, you know, she's good. But personally, I haven't seen the kind of thing that will turn a lot of people really on. So that's who she is. But here's the thing. She can't have much of a honeymoon period because she has to run for office for a full term after eight months, and she says she will. Now, I think that the press is going to have a tough time of this because into all of this will come other people who will, I think, oppose her in the upcoming primary. So I think that newspaper editors and editorial boards are going to have a rough time trying to figure out the right path here. Judy, you think? 
think they ought to be giving the new governor a lot of space, they meaning the media. Is the Albany press car going to go easy on her for a while? No, I don't think they'll go easy on her. And because the idea of a honeymoon period is just that she hasn't had time to make any mistakes yet, I think, is why everybody gets a honeymoon period. I'm very happy to see that one of the first things she mentioned was the fact that she's going to encourage state government to fulfill FOIA, a request for information, freedom of information request, more quickly. That is a huge problem for reporters and for the general public. We've often had to wait months or sometimes years for basic information to get released from the state government and, you know, from local governments, I should mention as well. I love her succinct style. I think Alan is underwhelmed by it. I love it. After listening to the former governor essentially drone on often. I mean, it was, he was a compelling yeah. speaker, but she's trying to get the information around. She answers her questions succinctly and moves on. I like that. And I like the fact that her press conferences, even though that first one should have been much longer, I like that they're run in a business-like manner. So kudos to her in that realm. Well, I would love to have the right of reply to that, <laughs> since I was brutally attacked. The end. <laughs> <laughs> no honeymoon for you. <laughs> the answer is I didn't use the word underwhelmed. I said she did a competent job. I think there's a big difference between competent and, you know, underwhelmed. So thanks for putting words in my mouth there, Judy. I always appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. What do you think, Rosemary? Well, I think that the media does not give anybody a honeymoon period. It means they just haven't dug up anything yet and don't believe that they're not looking. And, in fact, we already saw some stuff about her husband and his business holdings. That is the job of the media, and a good story is always attacking power. Holding it to account is what we call it, but it's mm. usually negative stories. And she is setting herself up by making these promises of which you speak. Let me remind you that Andrew Cuomo began his first term in office promising an open and transparent and ethical government. Mm -hmm. How'd that work out? <laughs> Don't they all yeah. say that? They all do say that. So she is setting big expectations. That's great. We don't know yet what she's capable of, but any misstep will be treated just like that of Andrew Cuomo. And if you were a, a newspaper reporter right now and your new governor had chosen Senator Benjamin uh, from Harlem as the lieutenant governor, would you be looking into Senator Benjamin with everything you had? Well, of course. And also this reaffirms that she is definitely trying to balance out a potential Absolutely. ticket. Right. So what is New York going to get? What was the deal? Why him? Yeah, there's tons of interesting questions there. And the fact that she's really, really competent, she's picking good people, and she knows how to run a government. She's been in this business for a long time. In many ways, again, while a plus, that makes her more vulnerable because any misstep is going to be said. How could she do this? It isn't going to be like Trump, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing because he's brand new. Give him a break. She's not going to get that. And the other question is, what role is this new lieutenant governor going to have? Will he be marginalized like Kathy Hochul was for all these years as Andrew Cuomo's lieutenant governor? Is she going to give him a really active part in her administration? And because this is the media project, and I know we talk about what the media does. I was very careful just a few seconds ago to say that if I were a reporter right now and a new lieutenant governor had been named, I'd be turning over every possible rock I could find in order to see if this is an appropriate choice. Well, and there were some ethics concerns expressed about Benjamin during his recent unsuccessful run for controller of New York City. So 
it's already starting to happen, and I would say that's good news. There shouldn't be necessarily a honeymoon period. By the way, somebody who's long past his honeymoon period is President Biden, as I think Rosemary alluded to. Let's shift to Afghanistan for a second and the coverage there. And Alan and Rosemary, who were on last week, should correct me if I'm wrong. But when the question of Afghanistan coverage came up, I believe you were generally favorable about it. Is that an accurate assessment? I would say so. Yeah. Generally speaking, we, we praise the CNN reporter who uh, you know, risks her life and other reporters for being there and the kind of stories. Nevertheless, there has been considerable amount of criticism regarding the media, and I wonder if this at all moves you. I'll start with one from Fairness and Accuracy in Media, which is, to be sure, a far-left organization. But they say that just as U.S. corporate news media, quote, discovered, unquote, Afghan women's rights only when the U.S. was angling for invasion, their since-forgotten interest has returned with a vengeance as U.S. troops exited the country. And it says now, with, as the U.S. is finally withdrawing, many corporate media commentators put women and girls at the center of the analysis, as when Wilf Blitzer of CNN referred to the horror awaiting women and girls in Afghanistan. So I guess the question is, did the media just discover the women's plight in Afghanistan when it could have been reporting and covering it and exposing it all these many years? Well, I would love to leave this to Judy and to Rosemary, because first of all, they are women, and second of all, they are finely attuned to the way in which media treats women. I don't think it's true. I've read that article. If you remember the young woman, and I'm blanking on her name, she has championed education for women. She was shot by the Taliban, remember? Right. That has been massively covered by the press, and that is the story of Afghan women. And I think the press has also covered women's rights increasingly and well throughout the Middle East, where I worked, and Afghanistan. Here's the problem, though. What can Americans do about rights for women in Afghanistan? What hasn't been covered is the fact that not all women in Afghanistan are upset about the Taliban. They're more upset about American oppression and occupation, as they would put it, in Afghanistan. And that we have not covered at all. It's a whole different side to the issue. I believe women's rights do not advance in a country unless the women of that country are fighting the battle. No one helped the United States get it. Women from Mexico didn't come and help us. You fight for yourself. And the media does not have an effect. Now, if you're talking about the government using women as an excuse for Afghanistan, oh, yeah. We never cared about, as a government, as a people, we never were going to go in there and fight for human rights or to help women achieve better economics and better education. That was never our goal, and it it is kind of self-righteous to go talking about that now. But that's government, not media. And I guess that's one of the critics' complaints is that that kind of stance by our government or lack of stance hasn't been widely reported. Right. I think it's a fair criticism to say political opportunists will use the women's issues as an excuse for, you know, military involvement. I tend to think that we have overlooked what's happening with women in Afghanistan. Early on, when it first happened, we talked about it. I can still remember George Bush talking about it. But for 20 years, I'm thinking, oh, they're making progress. You know, women must be going to universities. They are going to schools. But when you look at the hard numbers, you know, only one in three girls are being educated. Women in Afghanistan, which I agree with Rosemary, that's where the change really has to happen. Women in Afghanistan, they did believe that they wanted to take control. They wanted more money spent on humanitarian efforts. I can understand that. And less money spent on blowing things up and fighting the warlords, who are also incredibly oppressive of women there. So 
a more sustained focus on what was happening and more sustained focus on what really needed to happen to advance women's causes. And women in urban centers advanced far more than women in, in rural areas, and Afghanistan is a, an incredibly large rural country. It's well, also extremely primitive. I'd like to know what the literacy rate among men, the education rate among men are. Right. It's, it's not as if that 3% is a particularly no, low number. And there definitely have been advances that the Americans have helped. The American presence has opened up opportunities for women they would not. So to me, the story is going forward. When the Taliban takes over, are they going to try to clamp back to the 11th century? And how are women in Afghanistan going to react to that? And I hope Clarissa Ward is back there covering that story. Well, Richard Engel has managed his way back, and you have to talk about bravery of the American press. Clarissa won, Ward won, and Richard Engel, who actually left Kabul and then went back. There are different kinds of wake-up to those people. I admire their strength and their resolve. One more piece on this puzzle. I don't know if you saw the press conference yesterday as we speak with the Secretary of State, but Andrea Mitchell of NBC, when she finally finished her question, and I, never th- I don't think she ever asked one, she spoke for about five minutes, but she basically is saying that the American allies are furious, and I'm going to zero back on press conference about this, and this is from the Columbia Journalism Review, that the White House would be irked by critical coverage, and they are, is not a surprise, and the public mood is not a reliable assignment editor for the press. Still, the outraged moral tone coursing through much of the coverage doesn't indeed seem out of step with mainstream news organizations' traditional self-conception that they are disinterested chroniclers of the truth. The point that jumps out at me is this outraged moral tone. Now, where has that been all this time? You know, I think there's a big difference between war coverage, which is essentially what we're seeing from the Ross and Clarissa Awards of the world, and detailed analysis, a kind of historical perspective. And that is utterly lacking, as you would expect, because it's just happening. So you're getting misery and chaos and confusion and the distrust of our allies. All of that is real. But there's no bigger picture. For example, we have already moved out. Biden and all the chaos has still moved out many times more than the number of people that moved out of Saigon. And he has dealt with the allies, and there is order coming. And there's, what, five to 1,500 Americans still remaining. He may meet that deadline. It's just there's a certain hysterical and partisan tone to the coverage that I think comes from being on the ground and seeing only a small part of it. When I was listening to the press conference, you get some standard, very straight questions. And then when Andrea Mitchell started to talk, it didn't show her. I was listening to it. And she was indignant. And it did take forever. She was making a statement more than she was asking a question. And it came across very loud and clear. I uh, agree with Rosemary. I think that the people who have been there, the war correspondents especially, they're advocating that we do right by the people who have helped them, whether it helped Americans, helped the American military, helped the American reporters, helped American businesses while they're there. there. And they're bringing a tone to it that is different than what a standard reporter would be who has not served over there. Well, I tell you, Andrea Mitchell has a great deal of respect for as far as I'm concerned. She was a groundbreaker. She's excellent in terms of her knowledge, et cetera. But it was very disappointing watching her give that speech yesterday. MSNBC did show who was asking the question in case people didn't recognize the voice. And we see a lot of that at press conferences where uh, reporters tend to grandstand a bit. Well, this is the Media Project. Ira Fussfeld here with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Mayo, and Judy Patrick. We're 
coming to you from the four corners of eastern New York or wherever there's a telephone, we may find us. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think I don't think any of us wants to see the press licensed for there to be malpractice suits thrown at the press. But if there's ever a network that deserves a malpractice suit, it's Fox News. And in particular, in the most recent example, is this push for a deworming drug to treat COVID-19 an anti-parasitic drug used for livestock, and the primary evening hosts are suggesting that is potential COVID-19 treatment. And it prompted a response from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, quote, you are not a horse, you are not a cow. (laughs) Serious, y'all, stop it. I mean, I know what the answer is, but I'm going to pose it anyway. What can we do about this? this? This is a terrible use of the public airways to put people not in better condition, but in worse condition. What's the motivation? What do we do about it, if anything? Judy? I see the push for that deworming drug. It's all over social media. It's on Twitter, and it reflects people's distrust of institutions and and trust of wild lunatic theories. You know, I'd also like to say that when the FDA gave final approval to the Pfizer vaccine, Fox even downplayed that. Maybe mainstream media overplayed it, especially given all the other things that were going on. But, you know, they would say, yeah, it's been approved. But, you know, now Laura Ingram was saying, you know, that now they're going to take away your rights and mandate that you get this vaccine. So they can't even report the vaccine news. I'm not saying that they need to promote it. I'm just saying it would be nice if for once they didn't play it down or take away from the credibility of the FDA approving the drug. Alan, okay. you said that a lot of this is financially based. That's their motivation to draw viewers yeah. and to make money. Is, is it as simple as that? Or at what point do we say they're hurting the nation's health? Well, we can say it and we do say it. And that's what we should do as critics of Fox and in other aspects of the media. But there's not much more we can do, I don't think. We don't have an official truth-telling commission that stamps and says, okay, it's okay. What we can do is say, this is outrageous, and say it again and again and again, and hope, just hope, that people will begin to pay attention. Okay, can I can I talk on this? I have a class right now that's working on misinformation and how it spreads and why it's so powerful. And they're, they're assigned to talk to someone who thinks completely differently than them about vaccination. And what they're discovering is that it's more than just fear or they don't want foreign bodies in themselves. Come on, they're putting horse dewormer in themselves. It's a mistrust of the media and a really hatred, a dislike of, of liberals, of us. So for Fox, to go after Fauci and the CDC and the FDA, which they have done, um, and said that they're lying to you, they're not spreading the truth. That that pushes a political position that puts them mm-hmm. into more power. And all into their hands. We're doing it right here, saying, oh, we have to just keep saying the truth and they'll eventually come to listen to us. They're not. My, my cousin is convinced, we're having a discussion about it now for the class, that she's convinced that we're on the path to Nazi journalism and uh, Nazi Germany, not because of Hitler and Trump comparisons, but because you now have to have a piece of paper to go to work or to go into a restaurant. Isn't that just like Hitler? Where does that come from? And the media, I mean, the good media, us, we have to address that. And one of the things about this dewormer is that it didn't come out of nowhere. There actually are studies that try to find if it would be effective, just like uh, hydroxychloroquine. That didn't come out of the blue. 
it was promoted irresponsibly. I don't I don't say that's wrong, but we're, I didn't know that until I began looking for that for this for this class. The same thing with Wuhan. I poo pooed the idea that it escaped from a lab because it was a Trump idea. But there is some validity to it. We found out. I think that the liberal media has to accept that no one believes us and we have to double down on proof and efforts to say, hey, I know you think this, but take a look at this. Who would the conservative media hear it from that they would believe it? And it's Fox and the right wing media. How do we get to them? Let's try to remember that 73 million people voted for Trump. And among those people are a lot of people who believe, as Rosemary's correspondents do, that that the whole game is rigged and this is terrible. The media, of course, if you're in one of those 73 million, you better believe there's going to be a certain critical aspect to what you're thinking about media. So the question is, who's leading who? Is Fox leading those 73 million, or is Fox just reflecting what those 73 million people think? Well, forever is a long time, and I agree with Rosemary's prescription, no no pun intended, but I, I just don't see how in the relatively near future this is going to change, where just these two camps are established out there. And I don't know, it, it's, a, it's a daunting issue for those of us in the media who like to think we're doing the right thing. Listen, we're just about out of time, but I want oh, to we'll no. read another letter that's pert. Yeah, and this is a letter from Matt, not my son Matt, so it's not a set-up letter. And he says, hello, I agree with Alan and the others who think the media project should be extended in length. <laughs> it goes by very fast and leaves no and leaves one wanting more. How about trying a 45-minute program on a trial basis? I'm sure you can find something to fill in the extra 15 minutes. If that works, you can always expand to a full hour. I will not speak for Alan. Alan is very capable of doing that, but I would believe the correct answer is we will take that under advisement. That's the correct answer. I'm all for it, by the way. I'm all for extending it to an hour. And if you believe that, we'll give you another one. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish the CEO would agree. Oh, wait a minute. You are the CEO. Well, anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks you very much for listening. I'm Ira Fussold with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Romeo, Judy Patrick, our producer, David Gustina. I hope you'll join us again next week for another edition of The Media Project. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding, ling, ding, ling, 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 ling. Now, newspaper men are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany. Judy Patrick is the Vice President for Editorial Development for the New York Press Association, and Ira Fussfeld is the Publisher Emeritus of The Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. 
It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. 